Hi, I'm Natalie Wires, along with Jason Nias from Digital River, an e-commerce company dedicated to helping brands go global and grow revenue. But this isn't about us. This is Commerce Connect, a podcast about people who are creating some of the best e-commerce experiences of our times. Listen on to hear from e-commerce visionaries as they look back on where they started, lessons they've learned that have gotten them to where they are today, and what they believe is the future of online shopping. You may have recently heard our podcast with Deborah Painting from Superdry, where she talked about a partnership with Wear and how they're using AI technology and analytics to create the best possible customer experience as it relates to fit. It's a fascinating topic from a customer point of view, a business point of view, sustainability in fashion, and so much more. So today, we're talking with Wear's CEO and co-founder, Greg Moore, to do a deeper dive on this technology. Greg, welcome. Hi, Natalie. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. Um, Greg, in addition to where you are also CEO and co-founder of Fit3D. Uh, this is an integral to what Wear does. Can you just start by giving us a bit of an overview of what these two brands are and how they work together? Yeah, of course. Um, so just a bit of a background on sort of the vision behind this whole thing. Um, we sort of saw a lot of products and goods being built for the human body that had never really used the human body in that process. And so um, in 2012, we set out on a journey with the, the brand and company Fit3D to basically build body, scanner alert, body scanners to catalog the entirety of the surface of the human body for the entire human population, right? Um, and so Fit3D in and of itself is a body scanning business. We deploy body scanners and aggregate body scan data. And through where um, we found out that one of the biggest problems associated with fit, right? Things built to fit the human body is apparel. Um, it's a huge problem, costs hundreds of billions of dollars, massive sustainability challenges. And so what we do with where is we utilize the data from Fit3D anonymously and privately um, to be able to solve some of the biggest problems in the apparel space, predominantly associated with size and fit. Um, and so that's the, the difference between the two. The corollary point between the between the two of them is the data set um, that comes in, into into fix. So you you touched on this, but your mission began with a goal to scan every body on Earth. What exactly does that mean, and how how are you going about doing that? Yeah, so we we have a, a bunch of big hairy audacious goals in the company, <laughs> and uh, you know now eight years in that that was definitely one of them. Um, but no, we we had anticipated that we would deploy enough body scanners throughout the globe uh, to really try to scan every human body on the face of the Earth. Um, you know, we, we realize that 7 billion people is kind of a, a hairy task to try to capture, but uh, we have scanned millions of human bodies from more than 50 plus countries. And then um, throughout the past like four years, we've been able to build out autonomous analytics, right? So AI that we can use on top of those data sets to predict human bodies. Um, and so that, right, we don't have to physically go in, physically go get a scan and like all the stuff that's pretty, pretty comprehensive and timely. Um, allows us to expand using a software only version to anybody. So right now, I mean, we're doing over, I don't know, a couple million predictions a month. Um, and so from that perspective, we are actually probably going to scan the earth just a different way that we had initially set out to do so. And these body scans, I'm just fascinated by how the, like logistically how you're doing it, at least how you started before you built in a lot of this AI. Mm -hmm. 
is there a, an actual machine set up someplace that people go to or, and how do, how do people know where to go? How are you finding these people who are being scanned? Yeah, uh, that, that in, in itself was a tricky uh, challenge. Um, but yeah, so we, we kind of, body scan is not new and we're not the ones that invented it, right? It's been around since the 80s, maybe even before that. Um, and most of the companies that were in this space went right to apparel. Um, and so they said, okay, we're going to solve the apparel problem by scanning people in retail, in apparel environments, malls, whatever else. The, the challenge is that you don't necessarily get enough value out of it as the consumer to actually go in and like take a full body scan. And so we looked at the problem very differently. We said, it's not about getting the scanners into those locations. It's about getting the scanners into a location where consumers frequent such that they will constantly use this. And so, yeah, so what we did is we developed a 3D body scanning device. Um, it's, it's kind of a bigger machine um, and we sell it into commercial wellness, fitness, chiropractic, physical therapy, uh, medical. Um, and so people go into this and they use this as their assessment device. Right. And so we tell them body composition, posture analytics, measurements, all sorts of other stuff. And so they get value out of it by tracking their journey, their health based journey from a body shape perspective. We then on the backside get to utilize that information again, autonomously private. There's no privately identifiable information associated with it um, for where. And then we can use the predictive analytics to solve those other problems. So it's, it's kind of a circular approach, but the one that was necessary in order for us to achieve the data sets that we really needed to achieve to solve the problems we wanted to solve. That's amazing. Uh, we're going to get back into, we're going to touch on the, the problems that you're solving and all of that in a, in a bit, but before we do, let's just go back a little bit and talk about your personal career journey. So you're the CEO of these two different brands, this cutting edge technology. Um, you work with all of these world-class brands um, and you've also got an engineering degree and a background in sports. So walk us through how you stitched all this together to do what you're doing now. Yeah. And, and also three kids and the littlest. One <laughs> <in the morning>. So, <laughs> so you don't may, have a lot uh, of free time. Yeah, right. telling. We may, we may hear a few little voices uh, here and there, but um, yeah, no, it, it's, I have a very odd background. Um, I was uh, an athlete by nature growing up, played baseball for 20 plus years, wrestled um, at some of the highest levels and um, then went to school to be a computer engineer at UCSB, not knowing anything about what computer engineering was. I just was like, ah, computers are fascinating. Um, so graduated there and then went to a company called Sport Vision um, and that company was amazing they were building out all of the tracking technologies for major league sports. So if you look at player tracking, ball tracking, uh, NASCAR tracking, I mean, you name it, we tracked it, right? And then we'd provide graphics insertions for that. And so um, I was really, uh, the CTO, Marv White, really took me under his wing there. And it was kind of like, no problem is too big to solve, but let's make sure it's a big problem. Um, and so in that, in that role, um, my team and I invented the pitch tracking technology, hit ball tracking technology, and I, we're on the path to the player tracking technology for Major League Baseball. Um, and then I kind of had my, my business mind start to go and I was like, hey, there's so much more use we can, we can, so much more we can do with this data than provide a broadcast graphic. We can help coaches with scouting, recruiting, trading, player and analytics, like all sorts of stuff with an objective data source. And so that really kind of got my head wrapped around using data as not only a value opportunity, but also a moat, right? Because you can use this information to completely prevent competition. Um, 
And so um, myself and uh, my, my boss at the time, Ryan Zander, uh, we took over the business unit, turned it from a data analytics company for broadcast to a data analytics company for, um, for sports right on the back end. And so that kind of got me excited about data. Um, and so I had this like computer vision expertise, a little bit of physics expertise, some data analytics expertise, but really the, the, the thing I think that probably differentiated me was the ability to put those together and build a business on top of them. Um, and so when we um, were coming up with Fit3D and the concept, the, the notion behind it was like, how can we own the market for this data? You know, basically we build it out so big, so fast that nobody else can compete. And that just gives us this massive moat where we can then drive the value and opportunities built on top of this data um, that nobody else can tackle because nobody else can capture the data that fast, right? It's timely and longitudinally based. Um, and that's where Ware came in and Fit3D came in. Um, and so it was really, we just saw a big problem. We saw e-commerce was growing really, really fast. Um, we saw that brands just didn't know about the body shapes of their consumers. And so we set on a path to track it, capture it, um, and then utilize it to help solve some of those big problems that we talked about earlier. But yeah, it's, it's a circular path at best. <laughs> circular, but you know, really central on the, the tracking and using data, as you said, to solve these, these big uh, problems that are facing, you know, different industries. Um, and where is very focused on the fashion industry. So just walk me through a bit. If I'm a fashion brand and I'm interested in potentially, you know, working with where and, or I know that, you know, we could be serving our customers so much better by providing a better fit experience. Walk me through some of those early conversations you have with folks and what problems are they trying to solve when they, when they reach out to you? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, and we've, we've changed a lot over the time. So when we first started, um, we, customers would come to us, normally the larger enterprise customers, kind of like top one through five in the world. And they'd say, hey, we think we're really doing a bad job at sizing. Um, and we don't really know how to build out our grade rules or different sizing metrics for the body shapes of our consumers in region X, right? Maybe that's like Western China or um, Central Europe or something or like Northern America, whatever, right? Um, and they would ask us, hey, you know, can you use your data to help us solve these problems? And so we'd say, sure. Um, and so we'd go through and we'd build out a project where we would take their current sizing strategy we'd build out a population of 3D body scans, and then we would map their sizing strategy on top of those body scans. Um, and then from there, we'd look at areas of opportunity. It's like, hey, you know, um, are your grade rolls in the right place? Are you looking at the body growth, right, from size small through size 2XL in the right way? Do your plus size bodies have a gap in them where you're not necessarily covering? And so what we call that is fit coverage. Um, and so we do a fit coverage analytics. We tell them how much of the population they're currently covering with their current strategies. We'd revise it for them, um, give them a new set of grade rules, new set of um, fit coverages. And then from there, um, we'd send out 3D body scans that they would then um, normalize body scans. So representative of a collection of bodies, not just a single body. Um, and from there, then they would use that as their gold standard, right? This would be sort of the sizes they, they would build around. So the real output of that was that they would then have the propensity to fit more people uh, uh, more adequately. Um, and that, that business is still very alive and well, but what we've really done um, over the past several years is, is we learned from that process and we kind of flipped it on its head. We turned it backwards. 
And so the thesis there was that we can continue to use our 3D body scans that were collected at some period in time to help you solve your problems. That may not be of your specific customer, right? That may not be your shopper. And if you think about sizing, especially in the apparel industry collectively, the biggest challenge is aligning your sizing strategy with the current body dimensions of your current shoppers. Because somebody that's going to shop at Lulu is going to be different than somebody who shops at Old Navy and somebody that shops at like Athleta or somebody that shops at another, another uh, athleisure company, Lucy or something, right? And so those body dimensions are different. You should, you should be able to size for that, but you don't know that until you capture the body dimensions of your consumer. And so uh, what we've done recently is that we've created e-commerce tools uh, called the Fit Advisor, which is a plugin that customers can put on their website. Um, consumers will go through this quick quiz. It takes like 10 seconds and we will be able to utilize that information to predict the body dimensions of that shopper and then align that with the clothing and then recommend the best fitting size in every single product. And then on the back end, then now we have a clear understanding of the consumer and their body shapes that are shopping on this specific brand. And then we start that process, right? So instead of doing it based on a set of 3d scans, we now do it based on a set of the actual consumers that are actually shopping on that site. Um, so you have this ability to be even more accurate with your sizing when you're creating in the first place and you're solving, um, you're solving sizing throughout the entirety of the business, right? Not just at one specific point in time because it's changing, right? You change your marketing campaigns, you're going to change the body shapes of people coming to your site. So it needs to be this constantly evolving circular approach um, to sizing and alignment. Yeah, and the, the thing that we talked about with, with Deborah from Super Dry too was how trends fit into it, right? So you, you talk about this constant evolution. It's like people are wanting a different fit for their athleisure today than they were five years ago. And that'll change again in the next couple of years. So it, it does seem like it's this constantly evolving thing and having access to real-time information is incredibly beneficial. Yeah, I mean, completely agreed. Um, when you think about, you know, you have a change in materials, a change in stretch factor, a change in draping factor, a change in how people like to wear specific garments, a change in the body shapes of the population in general, right? COVID's here. I know I'm not going to the gym every day like I used to. I'm sitting around in my house, like chasing my kids, right? I'm, I'm definitely not getting in better shape. Um, so, I mean, like these things are, are currently happening. And so, if you look at the way the industry used to operate, we used to do a sizing study every like five to seven years. And I, it was the funniest thing when we talked to some customers and say, oh, no, no, we just did a sizing study two years ago. Like, we don't need to do another one for another five years. And I'm like, I don't know who told you that, but that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Right? <laughs> like the, the body shapes of your consumers are changing month by month. And you change your ad campaigns and they're changing. You change your fit styles, they're changing. You change your design, they're changing. Like everything's constantly changing. And so if you don't have the dynamic ability to adopt, adapt, sorry, to those changes, good luck. I mean, that, that's the reason why that size and fit is the number one biggest challenging issue in apparel. Like it's, it's there. And that's the reason why is because of the way that we've done things for so long. Now I don't blame them. That's what was available, right? Um, that's the way the industry was built. And there were solutions providers to solve those problems but they didn't have this constant live running stream of the body shapes of your consumers. Now we do, right? So now we can evolve as an industry. We can build models and tools to actually adhere to the solutions that are necessary to be successful in that vein. 
Um, and that, that's why we're here, right? That's what we do. Yeah, and, and it just becomes so much more important um, with the in, with the increase of online shopping and e-commerce, right? So whereas people used to be able to go into a dressing room, so they could tell, you know, generally they could tell fit. They knew again, it's like that brand loyalty. They knew which brands generally fit them correctly. They stayed loyal to that. Now, you know, we're shopping online. We're buying likely from lot, you know, a much broader base of brands. And so being able to, you know, have some consistency and go to a brand and be able to learn exactly how their garment is going to fit my body based on my preferences seems like a, a total game changer. Um, you know, what are you seeing as it relates to, you mentioned COVID, um, you know, what trends are you seeing as it relates to just overall, you know, fashion fit and preference in that space? Yeah, I don't know if I'm the trend-setting guy. I probably don't have enough information in that space. Probably people much more educated than myself. But um, what I what I will say is that our habits are changing as a consumer base, right? So McKinsey did this great report. I mean, McKinsey does a lot of good reports, but they they did one for this industry that is like is perfectly paramount. They said that um, e-commerce penetration in the U.S. has grown in three months, what was anticipated in 10 years, right? So at the end of the day, I think we need to come to the realization that e-commerce is going to be a big majority of the future of our shopping experience. Um, and then furthermore, in that same report, they talked about how consumers were, I think it was like 48% more likely to switch brands during this time. And if you think about the reason for that, it's because the wholesale channels no longer control distribution. Right now you have Amazon and Shopify and everything else. And you just type something into search and whoever pays for your bid, that's who's gonna get your eyeball and you're gonna likely change. Um, the pitfalls of that are that you don't know how these new companies are gonna fit you, right? So having an appropriate level of size communication, having confidence in that sizing strategy and how it's gonna fit your body is something that is so important to converting those consumers and keeping those consumers. Um, because a report we did um, showed that I think it was like consumers are 89% less likely to re return to a brand if they don't get a good fit the first time. And so, right, you're, you're dealing in these margins that are really scary, um, especially for direct-to-consumer brands, but there are tools to solve these problems, right? You don't have to use the same size chart that we've used since 1958. You don't have to use model dimensions that are there. It's like, I'm not six foot two and 170 pounds. I don't know how I fit a medium compared to that guy. who's like, you know, a stud. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't, I don't have this information, right? So how, how can these brands utilize other tools to specifically tell me how their clothing is going to fit my body? Um, and yeah, I, I think that we, you know, the industry is adopting or adapting, sorry. <laughs> um, but, but they are adapting. And I, and I think that part of it is really cool. Um, it really comes down to who's adapting quickly enough to really be able to maximize the opportunity for their brands based on this change in consumer behavior. Um, so I think those are the trends that we, we generally tend to follow. Um, my wife will tell you I'm, I'm not overly fashion forward. <laughs> my black t-shirt is my go-to. Um, so I, I can't speak on that, but, but the size and fit of it, I think is really, really important. Nothing wrong with having a uniform. <laughs> it's good enough for Steve Jobs, right? Aspirational, <laughs> so, I call it that. <laughs> another thing that I find um, so fascinating about your approach is that you really encourage a brand to use this data across many teams within their company, 
So, you know, the design team, the inventory planning, marketing, uh, can you just talk a bit about that and how brands can use this across their business to drive real change? Yeah, uh, that's a, it's a really good point. And, uh, you know, bright eyed and bushy tailed, I thought we, we thought these, these business units spoke more fluently within the organization. The, the reality is, is that in most organizations, like Ecom has very little understanding of what inventory is doing, barely a little understanding of design. Like it's it's really parsed, right? Um, and, and I get it. Um, so I think we've had to figure out how to how to talk that talk to different champions within different parts of the organization. Um, but I think that yeah, when when we look at it, right? So um, if you take a step back again to kind of one of my earlier points, we talked about how we integrate this solution into the e-commerce um, chain to predict out the body measurements, right? And so with those predictions, we have location, right? So we understand where this consumer is in the world. Um, we have a bit of information about their buying habits on the site. We've got the UTM parameters. So we know digital attribution, which ads brought them in. Um, we know their buying journey, what they added to cart, what they purchased, what they returned. Um, and so that's kind of this like ball of enriched information that defines consumer backs, right? And so now you think about how to put all that stuff together. And the one thing that kind of stands out is that the body shape and dimensions of the shopper sits at the middle, the cornerstone of this other enriched data around it. And so the point that she touched on, um, which, which we think is really valuable is how can you utilize that data, not just to create net revenue opportunities on top of, you know, operating expenses, um, but how do you use that information? I'm just thinking of like a PL, right? Like below um, the operating margins, or sorry, the gross margins to get into the operating expenses. And so when you think of, again, this ball of data, um, and you start to think about the journey of clothing all the way from concept to design to inventory, marketing to sales, um, the first thing you want to do is help make sure that the designers have a clear understanding of the body shapes that they're designing for. Let's say, and just to oversimplify it, that designers thought that most of their you know, consumers were an inverted triangle, right? For whatever reason. And then you get this data back and say, well, actually your consumers are split, you know, 33, 33, 33 between hourglass triangle and inverted triangle. And so now they're like, oh my gosh, I've been designing for this inverted triangle body shape since day one. I need to take into account the other 66.67% of my audience to actually build clothing that fits for them too. And again, we're capturing body dimensions. So like I know bust, underbust, waist, hips, thighs, inseam, overarm, whatever. So I'm simplifying it to say a body shape, but just, just go with it. So now that they have this clear understanding of the body shapes of their current consumers, they can then, right, in the ideation phase, start to design clothing that's going to flatter them based on the designer's intent, based on that brand's intent to fit that human body. And so all of a sudden, now you have your designers that have a set of information that they can use to better design clothing for the body shapes of their consumers, right? So all of a sudden you've done something better from the design side, just using this data. Secondarily on the inventory side, most inventory management systems are really built on sales, right? What did we sell last time versus what did we sell, I don't know, the period before or something. And then we're gonna buy on that and make subtle changes. Most of it's based on, I don't wanna say magic. I mean, it's it's, it's well meant, right? But there's not a lot of data, quantitative data that goes behind it. And so what we do is we come in and say, okay, here's the body shapes of the consumers that want to buy your clothing, right? And so 
we're not taking into account stockout walls. Like if somebody comes in, they want to buy your stuff, you don't have their size, they hit a stockout wall, they're not a part of your sales. You have no idea that that body came in and so you can't inventorize for them. And so when you inventorize based on the body shapes of your consumers, you can create size run ratios that are better aligned with those consumers' body shapes and sizes that they should be wearing, right? Um, and so you can do that from a channel perspective, e-commerce is fine, uh, in-store is fine. But then again, remember that other data point we have, which is location. So let's say you have a hybrid approach, you have an e-com approach and an in-store approach. And I wanna drop a dot on, I don't know, the store I have in Alfred, Georgia. Um, I can drop a dot on that. I can look at all the bodies within a five mile radius of that because that's generally where people are gonna transit from to shop in my brand. And now I can inventorize based on the body shapes that have the ability to buy these types of clothing, right? Not just the ones that I've sold to in the past. Um, and so it, with that one, you're increasing full value sell through and you're helping to reduce stockouts, right? So that's just another piece of the operating procedure. Um, this last one is one that we are ridiculously excited about. Um, we still have some ways to go to materialize it and productize it, but the data looks very sound. Um, and that is um, marketing attribution. So if you remember, I said we rip off the UTM parameters. Um, and so based on those UTM parameters, I know that this campaign is driving body shapes that are like this, right? And so when you start to think about that and you start to be able to look at different campaigns that you have running to activate consumers to come to your site and you can ascribe a body shape, set of body dimensions to that person or to those, the bodies that are coming in there, the shoppers that are coming in there, you can then start to align your ad campaigns with the body shapes of your shoppers to further ensure that they align with available inventory, right? And so now let's say that you've sold through, I don't know, your smaller sizes on your hero product. Right now you're not changing your ad campaign to draw in people that are of the larger body size that fit the sizes that you have available. And so your return on ad spend goes down, your customer acquisition costs go up, which is bad, right? But now let's say like, hey, we use where, we know that our, just to say names here, our Google campaign one, two, three, four is driving in really skinny body shapes and we only have left larger sizes. And we know that our Facebook campaign XYZ is drawing in people of a larger body shape I'm going to cancel my ads on Google for right now. I'm going to double down on my ads on Facebook until I can restock my inventory or by increasing return on ad spend and reducing customer acquisition costs, right? So you're creating efficiencies throughout the entire chain. And so when you think about the crux of this whole thing, because now these brands have the ability to put the body shapes of the consumer in the center of these decision-making processes to create quantitative outputs, You've now solved like sizing a fit throughout the entirety of the organization, right? You're creating efficiencies at every single step. Yeah. Um, so it's really cool. Um, yeah. So to your question, how do we talk to the brands, <laughs> right? That is, we're learning that right now. I'll say yeah. That. Well, that, I mean, <laughs> it is amazing. Just the, the business efficiencies that if, if this is truly adopted company-wide um, that a brand can get is incredible you know, two things that, um, you know, Digital River thinks a lot about that I think this plays into is, is global expansion, right? So as you, as a business are thinking about how to open a new market, if you're in fashion and apparel, understanding the, the desires of what, what kinds of products are going to be of interest, what is the, 
you know, the, the trends within the industry in this specific market or this specific region and being able to launch in a way that is tailored and localized to those shoppers, I imagine is incredibly beneficial as brands think about expanding their footprint across the globe. Yeah, I, I could not agree more. Um, I mean, I think that, you know, as brands are expanding across the globe, um, they take a lot of information from the factory because they have the assumption that the factory has done this for a lot of different brands and does it really, really well. Um, and I think they do the best that they can, but you obviously have limited data, right? I mean, cause a factory is two to three to four steps removed from the actual consumer. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think that's right, right? You can go into that having so much more information um, with a service like Wear and the data set like Fit3D, which has already been captured, um, to really help to create an efficient go-to-market strategy um, into different regions that you may have never operated in before. Um, SuperDry does some really, I can't go into too much detail on it, um, but they do some really cool things as far as that goes. Um, where they are, you know, again, I can't say too much, but they're kind of mapping the different designs for the different personas and then looking at the body shapes of those personas for those different designs. So they have this really clear understanding of what they're building and for whom, and then how to manage that from an inventory perspective based on um, that, that data. It's, it's really cool. It's probably yeah. one of the most creative and quantitative ways that I've seen a company do that yet. Um, yeah, so it's, it's fun. They're doing some really fun stuff to really move the needle in that space. That's cool. Um, and then the other thing as it relates to inventory management, which you haven't touched on is the idea of returns, right? And how getting it right is going to reduce the number of returns, which then plays into, um, you know, sustain, like making more sustainable fashion, um, bringing, you know, carbon footprints down. How do you see this helping with the sustainability of the industry? Yeah. Um, so I, I don't quite remember the stat, but I think it was like the apparel industry is like the fourth worst industry for um, CO2 emissions. And, you know, there, there's a lot of different ways that that goes. Like the 3D design space talks a lot about sampling um, and how many samples need to be sent back and forth and back and forth. And so, you know, using 3D design technology is helping on that. Um, we, we really focus on inventory waste. Um, so that, and then reverse logistics for returns, right? And so if you can increase your keep rates when you're selling products, especially the e-commerce, then you're inherently reducing um, your waste, right? Uh, not only from a product perspective, but also reducing your carbon emissions and packaging and everything else from a returns perspective. Um, which is, is a big deal. Um, and I don't know if, if the listeners have followed this, but Amazon and Walmart just made this massive announcement that said that they are no longer going to request certain items back um, if it is not profitable for them to get it back. And so now what you create is not so much the reverse logistics carbon footprint, but you increase the amount of waste that's going into the environment of plastics and whatever else is being produced in these brands. But furthermore, it forces every other direct-to-consumer brand to try to keep up, right? And so now all of a sudden, you may be barely squeaking out a profit margin based on a good that you've sent out, you've gotten returned, 
you've revamped it, right? Or refurbished it so that you can prep it out for a new sale again. You may barely just be squeaking by to create a profitable opportunity based on that garment or that good in the first place. Now with something like this, consumers don't want to go through the hassle of returning. And so you need to make sure that you get it right the first time more often. If not like the Amazons and the Walmarts of the world are going to trounce you because their policies are so much more consumer friendly. Um, and I think that was a really, really big deal. I, quantitatively, it's the right thing to do mathematically from a profit perspective, but the butterfly effect of that is going to be massive. Um, and so where, where we look at our, our, um, our area in that space is how do you, again, build clothing that's going to better fit your consumer market in the first place? How do you make sure you inventorize <clears throat> the right amount of that clothing um, using that data? And then last, uh, and kind of first in a sense, because it's circular, but how do you help consumers order the right size in the first place, right? How do you reduce size sampling, reduce returns for size? You need to give consumers that confidence that what they're buying is inherently going to fit their bodies and it needs to show, right? It needs to, to, to walk the talk in a sense, like when they get it, it's also got fit. Yeah, I mean, um, how many of us will like, there. how many of us will buy a couple different sizes and with the fully expectation that we're going to return the one that doesn't fit. Yep. Yep. It's uh, we did another survey on that is 92% of consumers um, buy with that type of a, um, with that type of an action, right? I'm going to size sample two sizes because I don't know. Um, and what I find is that, you know, where in particular, because it gives consumers that confidence as we see that reduction in size sampling and we see that increase in keep rates, um, and it's because of the way that we give the consumers the information to make decisions based on sizing. Um, so really, you know, it's, it's a lot of this, um, you know, you can look at it through the profit lens. You can look at it through the sustainability lens. We tend to look at it through the same lens, right? If you're affecting one with better business operations, then you're going to, you're going to um, uh, impact the other one in a positive approach. So Greg, you're clearly a, uh, um you know, really big picture thinker. I'm curious who influ influences you and where do you find inspiration? Uh, that's a good question. I, I, I find inspiration in everything in a sense. Like, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, um, I'm always looking at like um, all the different angles of an equation or a conversation that I may have. And I, and I take a lot of um, insight from that. And I think in my earlier years, I had to be right in those conversations. Um, and now I really take a step back and I try to learn like, all right, what, where is this person coming from? And how can I like in turn this information to think about a problem differently? Um, and so I think like, there's a lot of that. I, where I've gotten a lot of that inspiration, um, I think that, you know, I spoke about Marv White, who was an earlier um, boss of mine, the CTO at Sport Vision. Um, I learned a lot of that from him. Um, in his eyes, there was no problem that couldn't be solved, right? And so it was really about coming out with a, like, what's the problem that I want to solve? Um, and then once you do that, like, you don't stop until you fix it. Um, and, I, and, and that was really instrumental. I, I think my, my parents were amazing at that. My, my dad, especially, um, you know, he had this, <laughs> His, his big saying was like, don't go to work, make money. Um, and I didn't really get that when I was younger, but what he's basically saying is like, you know, paint your own path, like figure out what you love, where you're passionate about it and go find a way to make a living doing that. And don't worry about working for someone else with it. 
And so um, my, my sister and I were really raised um, sort of with that mantra of um, go paint your own path um, and don't, don't be beholden to anybody else when you paint it. Um, so I think those are good. Um, and I, I learned a lot about that. And then, you know, there's obviously the Elon Musk's and Jeff Bezos and, you know, all the normal statements that, you know, Steve Jobs is, Bill Gates is of the world. Um, and, you know, I think that it's, I think they've done, whether you like them or not, have done some really cool things to open people's eyes about what's possible. Um, now, granted, they were fortunate enough to raise a tremendous amount of money on their journeys, and not everybody has that, but what they did have is a vision. Um, and, and I think that they went on to execute those visions. So I, I, I appreciate um, that, that type of input as well to the creative thinking in there. Yeah, that's great. Um, another question that I love to ask our guests, um, because we spend so much time thinking about these exceptional buying experiences, what's a recent purchase that you've made that you really thought just nailed it? And, and why was it so great? Oh, I mean, the, the last time I used our product on Roan and Linksol to buy <laughs> stuff, it was great. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, you know, I always have to give some credence to, uh, to what we do, because I, I think it really is revolutionizing the way that apparel is bought. Um, but I will say like um, two things that I thought were pretty cool. So there's, there's a bunch of companies coming out now in the fintech space, this whole like try before you buy type thing. I think that's a really cool concept. It's a slippery slope, um, but it's a really cool concept. And so if you can look at basically like this trial layaway program where you're turning your own living room into your fitting room in a sense, and you can try it out, but if you package that with other tools like ours to try to increase the keep rate while you're doing that, I think that becomes something that's really, really cool and interesting. I think the other things that are out there, like for, I don't know, for furniture and stuff, I know Amazon and Ikea just did this, but um, you know, you can look at the product and then kind of like take a picture of where you want it in your room and it will like adjust where that sits. I think for those types of products, like that's really cool. Um, you know, nobody wants to be returning a bunch of furniture that sucks. Um, and so when you're, when you're trying to look at something like that, like that, the time that it takes to, um, to create that buying journey is, is fine in that type of buying environment. And I think it's a really cool concept for that space. I think that the 3d is really, and like AR and all that stuff is really overused across too many domains. Like, I don't think it's the right thing for apparel right now. It just takes too long to render. It's not a great buying experience and that's not how people want to shop. Um, but in the future, it may have some, may have some pretty cool impact. So there's a bit of the futuristic stuff that's out there that I think could be cool, but I don't think we're quite, quite ready for it yet. Yeah. It always takes a bit of time to see if it's going to be something that the general population is going to embrace. Yeah, right? that's right. That's right. I, I think that's another one of the big issues that sort of we looked at is that you know, you see a lot of companies out there looking to solve the luxury problems um, because, you know, I mean, you, you have the assumption that luxury goods manufacturers, like that's where the money is, right? But I, I think we, we take a different approach in that is that, you know, the vast majority of people buying goods are in the middle-class market or below uh, and by like, you know, a hundredfold, if not higher. And so um, the, the reality is, is that if the solution doesn't help the every person, it's not really a solution for humanity. Um, and so I think like we take a strong approach in that when we're thinking about how do we solve these problems, we, we don't really want to solve it for the PR and for the luxury goods. We want to solve it for the world. Um, and I think that has really guided us in the directions that we've taken on how we do things too. 
but yeah, that's a good point. Last question. Uh, we also like to pass on recommendations for podcasts or books or just what are you, what are you reading and listening to these days? Yeah. Uh, I'm all over the map. Um, so one of the, one of the podcasts I love to listen to is, um, Saster from Jason Lumpkin, um, and then VC 20 from Harry Stebbins. I, I think they're, they're great for, for me. I, I just appreciate those things they, they pull in a lot of, um, it's funny. It's almost like, you know, as a business leader, you face a problem and you're like, Oh, where do I, where do I go to get information on that problem? And all of a sudden there's a podcast that specifically speaks to that from those guys. So yeah, I don't know. It's like they have a earworm in my brain or something. Um, but I think those are great. Um, from the books perspectives, um, I, I really enjoy like business books, like good to great, hard thing about hard things, um, zero to one. I think those are really good books. Um, Brad Feld wrote a great book on venture deals. And then, um, I, I really enjoy, um, it's not like dystopian, but it's, it's kind of like the other side of the world that you never see educated, like hillbillyology, like, um, things like that. It, it just, it opens your mind up to an entirely different way of thinking. And I, I think that, you know, again, you can look at that as like, oh my gosh, like what is going on here? But there's also the reality, like this is a large majority of the population in the world. And, and I think it's really important that we open our minds up to not just be, uh, not have groupthink on the beliefs that we have, but to really try to understand like all sides of um, populations and humanity to understand like, where are they coming from? Like, how, how do they get there? Why are they there? Like, you know, what's impactful in that scenario? And I think some of those types of books are really, really powerful um, to, to just open up different thought processes. Um, the last book that I, I love and it's probably my favorite book is The Black Swan Theory. And so it's a book that like randomness is the world essentially. And so, you know, it's um, it's like, you always think like if you put it in a certain way, then this other thing should happen. And it's like, oh, that's not really true. There's no, you know, like crystal ball out there saying that if you do these things, like these other things will follow or you can't look back in hindsight and say, oh yeah, I knew that was going to happen. Like we, we don't, right? And so um, I think this book, the, the author is a bit a bit full of himself, but um, but it's a cool book. It's a cool way of thinking. Uh, and so I, I appreciate that book. I've read it a couple of times now, but um, yeah, it's a good one. Awesome. Well, thank you for those recommendations. It's always interesting to hear what people say. I am a huge fan of what Ware is doing. So I'm super excited to continue to watch from the sidelines of how this, you know, technology continues to evolve and transform the, the fashion industry. So Greg, thank you so much for coming and, and talking to us today. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, Natalie. I really appreciate it. This is a ton of fun. And I always appreciate when questions make me think and, and you, you got a couple stumpers in there. <laughs> very um, good. <laughs> it's good to think through them, but no, I appreciate your time very much. You've been listening to Commerce Connect, brought to you by Digital River and edited at Matriarch Digital Media in Minneapolis, Minnesota. To learn more, head to digitalriver.com.